morning. Well, um, I, I know, um, generally speaking, a lot of folks don't read the newspaper anymore. So um, if you don't know, there's an article this morning on this partnership that New Hope has with St. Hilda's uh, in the Sun paper. Um, and uh, if you watch the video that goes with it on the website, you can see the Chastain family uh, running off to church, and you can see Joe and Amy singing. Um, so uh, there are some redeeming features to it. Um, we, <laughs> we just kind of have this bad habit around here of reading Scripture um, and not skipping over the difficult stuff. Um, in fact, we, we tend to sort of spend time looking at it slowly. Um, so, as you know, this fall, we spent most of the time, this has been like the most comfortable experience possible for my daughters, um, as we've been spending, we spent seven weeks talking about sex and then several talking about marriage after that. Um, and now we're going to talk about slavery. Good times. You know, um, Paul speaks about slavery several times in his, in his letters. Jesus spoke uh, often of slavery in, in setting up his parables. He told plenty of stories. He didn't really directly address the phenomenon, but Paul did. Um, and when Paul spoke of slavery, generally speaking, he talked about how to function within a system in which there was slavery. Howard Thurman, the great African-American theologian of the 20th century, was born around the turn of the century, raised by his grandmother who had herself been a slave. One of Thurman's chores growing up was to read to her because she could neither read nor write. And she would ask him to read from all over Scripture, but the one thing she did not want to hear was the Apostle Paul. Every once in a while, he could slip in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, you know, the love chapter that you hear at weddings. But, but really, she didn't want to hear Paul. And when he was a child, of course, he was deathly afraid of her and couldn't ask. But as he grew up, he got to a point where he could ask his grandmother why she would never, despite her devotion to Scripture, hear Paul. And she said, when we were on the plantation, the master would send in a white preacher every Sunday. He didn't trust any Negroes to preach to us. He sent in a white preacher, and at least three or four times a year, that white preacher would preach on Paul's admonition, slaves obey your masters. And she said, I resolved that when I got my freedom, I would never put myself in a position where I had to listen to those words ever again. These are hard words for us to hear in our context. We are, of course, in a nation where the shameful legacy of slavery is one that we barely escaped and with great bloodshed. We should know that when Paul is speaking to people who are enslaved in this passage, as he is, the situation is not exactly the same as that of chattel slavery 
in the South, here in the United States. Paul is speaking to slaves in Corinth, for example. These would have been urban slaves, so they probably would have been domestic servants. They would have been involved in running, helping to run a household, or they might have been skilled uh, craftspeople who would be working on projects uh, alongside freed people, and, and it would be their owners getting the payment instead of them. Slavery was not at all uncommon in the Roman Empire. At times, as many as 30% of population could have been enslaved. Slaves came from prisoners of war. Slaves came from children who had been exposed and who were picked up and raised before they would die. Slavery also came from the children of slaves. One of the downsides to being a slave is that your children were not yours. They belonged to your master. And while domestic slaves did not have as hard a life, it was certainly not easy for one. Uh, Slaves, male and female of any age, were understood to be sexually available to their masters. Uh, Masters could, of course, beat them with impunity. And if a slave managed to escape and then got caught, the slave could be put to death. More importantly, of course, a slave lost inherent human dignity by being owned by another person. But many slaves in the Roman Empire did, in fact, achieve a certain level of social status, especially if they were slaves to particularly prominent people. Elsewhere in his letters, Paul talks about slaves that are in uh, households of some very important people, including the emperor. And yes, there were at the same time agricultural slaves bound together with chains so they wouldn't run away, living about as slaves in this country would have. And then even worse were people in the mines. So don't hear me say that slavery was benign. It's not. In any situation, it is inherently an affront to human dignity. As it was practiced in the Roman Empire, it was probably somewhere on the less bad side of a bad continuum on which American chattel slavery would have been far more toward the bad, more bad side. In fact, if you were a slave in the Roman Empire, you could have reasonable expectation of, of manumission, of being released. It was considered to be honorable, and in an honor and shame culture, people wanted to be honored in the eyes of their neighbors, so it was considered honorable to give your slaves their freedom, usually within seven years, usually before the slave uh, was in their early 30s. So if you were a slave, you might well become a freed person. That also might happen not because your owner was trying to be particularly honorable. It could also be because your owner was cheap and you became less productive even as you cost just as much to feed and clothe and house. Either way, However much we do the work we need to do to understand the context, Paul's words are hard for our ears to hear when he says in chapter 7, verse 20, each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it bother you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, well... 
trying to make positive use of the present situation. The fact is that whoever was a slave when he's called by the Lord is the Lord's freed man. And whoever was a free man when he's called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price, so don't be slaves of men. Rather, each one as responsible to God should remain in the situation that God called him to. It may help us to think through this by recalling a bit of the history of this place where we sit right now. In the back behind the Hobsons as they sit in the rocking chairs that are the privilege of founding families of New Hope. Right behind them on the wall is a an ornate monument memorial to John Glenn. This is not the Ohio senator who strapped a rocket to his back. John Glenn was a federal judge in Maryland. He was the benefactor of this facility. And along with his fellow members of the vestry, that would have been the Board of Elders, that founded St. Timothy's Congregation in 1844, John Glenn owned slaves. It's very likely that this building was constructed with slave labor. And if it wasn't constructed with slave labor, it was built with funds that had been derived from the profits arising out of slave labor. The far window in that corner is a memorial to Libertus Van Bokkelen, who lived at a time when people, I think you'll agree, had more awesome names. Libertus Van Bokkelen was the founding rector of St. Timothy's. He not only founded St. Timothy's Church, he also founded St. Timothy's Hall, which was a military academy, military academy that did, in fact, turn out a number of Confederate officers and where, for a time, a boy named John Wilkes Booth studied. In fact, right behind where George is sitting now, down the pew from Bob Jarvis is the exact spot where John Wilkes Booth was baptized in January of 1851. But Libertus Van Bokkelen was an abolitionist. Libertus Van Bokkelen was convinced that slavery was an affront to human dignity, that it was a violation of God's will, that it was completely unacceptable. Libertus Van Bokkelen, though, was the rector of a congregation that was entirely comfortable, on the whole, with slavery and, again, had a vestry, more than half of whose members owned slaves. So what did Libertus Van Bokkelen do? Libertus Van Bokkelen ran a stop on the Underground Railroad right underneath where we're sitting now. How badass is that? He's got slave-owning vestrymen. He's putting his, his livelihood and quite possibly uh, his personal security at risk by running freed slaves through this place out to the free states. And in that, a lot of ways, I think that is entirely consistent with the message that Paul has. And I, I tripped a little bit over the translation there in verse 21. The fact is that 
the, um, the Greek there is ambiguous, and it's one of those places where a great many trees have bravely given their lives so that scholars can argue with each other about how best to read it. It could be that Paul is saying, if you can gain your freedom, do so. It could be that Paul is actually saying that uh, even if you can gain your freedom, uh, stay in your current situation. It's hard to understand what more broadly Paul seems to be saying is that you do what you can in the situation you're in. And you don't let it bother you that you can't do things that are impossible for you in the situation that you're in. Again, that's easy for Paul to say, you might say, because Paul's not enslaved. And that's true. But Paul is also, remember, writing in a context where laws regarding slavery were quite well established, where they were not derived from the will of the governed, but they were established by ruling authorities, which, theoretically, people had rights in respect to, but as you read in the book of Acts, however many rights Paul had as a citizen, he still ended up arrested on trumped-up charges and, according to tradition, beheaded. So at some point, just because there are laws, that doesn't mean that they're going to be followed. No, I think what Paul is saying here is you do what you can, and you don't let what you can't do bother you. So, Paul says, if you are a slave, and if you're able to be free, fine, but don't orient all of your energies toward figuring out what you're going to do when you're free. You don't only start Jesus serving Jesus once you're free. You can serve Jesus in the situation you're in right now. And in fact we see from other letters that there were people who were embedded in some very prominent, very influential households in the Roman Empire who were followers of Jesus. And one of the ways that, Paul, that, that God got the gospel before people was in part by having folks like Paul get arrested and give their testimony in front of magistrates and governors, but also by calling slaves to faith who then were able to share the gospel in the households where they served. Is this ideal? No. Is this how we would design it? No. But this is how God worked it out. You do what you can. You don't let what you can't do bother you. And I think the, the applications for us are obvious. Fortunately, none of us has to figure out how we serve Jesus as a slave, but some of us are in jobs that we might prefer not to be in. Some of us may feel like the only way we're really going to be able to do anything worthwhile for Jesus is to get out of the situation we're in. Some people think, I can't even think straight until I get out of the valley of the diapers. And only when these kids start being a little bit more self-reliant will I be able to do anything worthwhile for Jesus. Or you may be caring for an aging parent. Or maybe there's just a massive project at work, and as Darcy Bissett says, the only way out is through. 
Now, what Paul says is you serve God in the situation that God's called you to. If you are in a neighborhood with a difficult person who lets his dog poop on your lawn, you serve Jesus in that situation. If you live in a neighborhood where your neighbor is especially chatty and you make sure he's not out there when you go get your mail, because if he is, that's 45 minutes of your life you're never going to get back, then you serve Jesus in that situation. If you live in Reisterstown and you go to church in Catonsville, you serve Jesus in that situation. We serve God as we are in the situation that he's called us to. And the fact that we are doing so does not in any way, in any way, undermine the consistent witness of Scripture to the inherent dignity of the human person. Remember, at the very beginning of the book, God makes humanity in his image, male and female. He invests them with unique dignity that is inherent to who we are as human beings. And the fact that somebody enslaves somebody else, which sadly has been going on for millennia and continues to this day, does not change the fact that all human beings are made in God's image and all are worthy of respect as such. And slavery is an affront to that fact. In fact, Speaking of doing what you can when you can, we see in Paul's letter to Philemon where Paul wrote to a slave owner a very, very clever way in which Paul maneuvers Philemon into a position where the only honorable thing he will be able to do is to free his slave Onesimus who has escaped and gotten mixed up with Paul that rather than having Onesimus put to death as he could, Philemon is going to have to manumit him. But we do what we can when we can do it. We don't let what we can't do bother us. And we do it all for the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would be a church of your faithful people. That we would rejoice in the many liberations that you bring and that we would be free to ask of you the things that we desire for ourselves and for people we care about even as we serve you in whatever situation we have been placed in whether we've been placed in that situation justly or unjustly we pray that we will glorify you and faithfully serve you in all places and in all situations. And even as we do that, we do continue to pray for the liberation of people around the world who do suffer in slavery. Those men and women whose lives are their own by right, yet whose rights have been stolen from them. We pray that it would come true, that verse, in a holy night. That chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression 
shall cease. In that name we pray. Amen.